everybody, welcome back to That Scale RC Show. For episode 64, this is Jay with Travis and Adam. What's up, guys? What's up? Oh, you know. Car stuff. Car stuff? Full-size car stuff? No, car no. Stuff? Little baby car stuff. Little teeny tiny car stuff. That's really about it. I don't know. Good week as far as like new releases and stuff goes, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Got a lot going on in the scale world, so I don't know if we want to do that or jump into questions or what we want to do first. We have 14 questions tonight. I kind of feel like we should tackle those first. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, why don't we? Let's just jump right in. Um, yeah, that's a lot. I'm sure there's probably going to be a lot to talk about between all these. So yeah, our first one of the night is from Alan Bridgen. He says, used rigs, depending on how many upgrades and how much use it has seen, are they worth more than what it was brand new out of the box? I see lots of people with just bolt-on upgrades asking four to $600 for an SCX-10. I ever... I ever saw a upgrading Axial SCX 10.2 6x6 for $1,250. Do those prices seem outrageous to you guys for used rigs? Who wants to go first? Because I have a lot to I'll, say about this. I'll go first. I'm tapping, go out. First. I'm tapping out on this one. You guys have fun. <laughs> oh, I, All right. no, I, I have a lot to say. Okay, so here's the problem, and I see this a lot with like even some people who sell their like one-to-one rigs. So it's just like the guy, you know, who enjoys building classic cars, hot rods, rock crawlers, whatever it is. You are never going to get what you put into the build out of it. It is just that simple. If you buy a car and you put all these upgrades on it. Yeah, that's cool. You upgraded a bunch of stuff. There is some value. Meaning like if you bought the car, let's I'm just going to use you know, easy numbers. So let's say the car is 450 ready to run, okay? You spend a total of like 125 bucks in upgrades on it. You could probably sell that rig. You got to depreciate it a little bit. You could probably get a solid 400 for it. Why? Because it's used for one, two, it's got some upgrades. It's a it's a good um, what's the word? It's a good bundle or you know it's a good selling feature when you're saying hey look you could buy this save yourself fifty bucks and it's upgraded a little bit or you could just go buy a brand new one. You always got to remember you got to compete with the new factor. I know everybody thinks that they just oh we put you know I just spent three hundred dollars at Vanquish so I'm gonna add three hundred dollars to my price. It doesn't work like that. I mean, and the other problem too is there are people who have put that out there and have gotten it so now they automatically start to think that that's the go- that's the going rate. It's like it's kind of goes with like the best example I can think of is those new bright bodies. I mean, one person goes out to Walmart, buys like 30 new bright uh, Jeeps, uh, especially now the Broncos, and they go and strip the body off, throw it up on eBay for 150 bucks and they're making all this money because that's, you know, they sell one that way and one person buys it and now they've, you know, uh, fluctuated the um, the market so high that it's just like it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, like I said, you're just you got to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, if somebody's got a six by six, especially if it's like was a ready to run six by six, 
and they just threw some parts at it, you're not going to get $1,200 for it. Now, if it's some, like, crazy, absurd rig, like, I've seen, like, some of, like, I think, what is it? Is it Cross or one of those higher-end companies that actually make the expensive 6x6 and there's some, you know, parts thrown at it? I could see it being expensive, but even the people who try to sell, like, I mean, even the Ripper, um, I've seen Rippers fully decked out and have had years of abuse, and they're selling them for, like, two grand. Ridiculous. Yeah, the Ripper with it being limited edition, though, you know, with them basically kind of saying they're not going to make them again, that kind of changes it a little bit. Yeah, but not enough to say you're going to spend two grand on one. Yeah, I mean, they were a grand just for the cage, let alone, like, the car and everything to go with it, because you got to remember it didn't even come with the chassis. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I understand all that. I'm just saying my personal beliefs, I'm not spending that kind of money on a car. Oh, yeah, no. And, like, I don't know. I guess my answer to stuff like that is it's only worth what you're willing to pay for it, you know? Like, if you come across something like that and it's outrageously priced, don't buy it. Like, the fact that it's outrageously priced, like, obviously the guy's kind of a idiot and so do you really want to put yourself through that so you know you got to consider that and then also consider that okay you know this guy's asking x amount of dollars for this car that's got you know wheels tires whatever what could you know you need to look at that as okay can i replicate that myself for less or about the same um i i'm pretty leery to buy anything used that I haven't seen in person like I I don't think I would buy a crawler off of somebody like on Facebook or something like that you know unless I had actually seen the thing in person um, we've sold quite a few of our rigs I mean like lots of them really and uh, you know that's always worked out really well for us but I kind of price it accordingly you know it's usually you know I don't know I, I don't think I've sold much over 450 you know, for something that's been, you know, fairly decked out. But, I mean, really, the, the bottom line is it's, you know, it's only worth what you're willing to pay for it. So there's nothing out there, really, that you couldn't, for the most part, do yourself or possibly find somebody to help you and do it for you, you know, whether it's like a patina paint job or something like that. So, I mean, it's, I don't know, I don't think it's really worth getting, like, you know, causing a big fuss over and stuff online when people post what their price is. Like, hey, that's what the dude thinks it's worth. Maybe there's somebody that it's worth that to them too, but, you know, otherwise don't worry about it. You're not going to change a dude's mind, you know? Exactly. Cool. Okay. Um, Andre Campos asks, what do you use for trail video gear? I just use my phone and mini tripod just looking to up my game. Um, I use a iPhone 11 Pro with a FreeFly Movie gimbal. That's what I've been using for all of our videos. And Which, that gimbal is rad, and it does a lot of awesome stuff that I don't even begin to try and understand. Yeah. But I, I will say this. like I have an iPhone XR, and honestly, like the difference between your phone and mine is massive as far as like the recording quality and stuff goes. So I think, you know, any of the like 
current generation iPhones are probably you can't lose. I, I, I think like for what you and I've been doing, I, I mean, cause you can use a tripod with that free fly gimbal as well. And, uh, I, I I just almost don't even see a need for a GoPro anymore other than the fact that, you know, they're kind of, you know, they're durable and if you're going to put the camera in kind of a compromising position to get a shot, you know, using some sort of action camera is probably your best bet. But, I mean, really, I just, I don't know. I, I think that phones and that gimbal are so good anymore that you can accomplish just about anything with an iPhone and have it look super, super good. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say um, prior to my iPhone 11, um, I just refused to use my phone just because the video turned out like crap. It was just, you know, I had an iPhone, what did I have before this, an 8? Um, and it just, I just didn't feel that the video was sufficient enough to like say, yeah, this is like quality, you know. Like if you're doing like a quick little something, it's like no big deal. But if you're looking for quality, uh, I would never trust my iPhone, I would always use my GoPro, but since I got the 11, um, it's totally changed everything, and I mean, I haven't filmed a lot with it, but I could just tell, even just some of the pictures I take, they're just, the quality is so much better now, it's like, like you were saying, Jay, like, with the way phone technology is going, you almost don't even need a high-end camera to film anything. Oh, yeah, like, dude, Travis's is just... I don't know, I mean, you've seen the videos, and, like, you can definitely tell what's been filmed with mine versus his. Um, mine, pictures, mine does really well with still, but, like, the video's just amazing. And, I don't know, that gimbal does a lot of really cool stuff, too, though, as well, we're finding out. Well, what, see, what's funny about the gimbal stuff, too, which actually kind of, like, makes me upset, like, I got to... I probably should look to see if I can get an adapter head for mine, but um, I bought a gimbal for my uh, GoPro session, and the problem is it's like it's designed to mount to that session. So I got to see if I can get some sort of a mount for my phone now that my phone takes quality video. Oh, Um, yeah. See, I was a little bit bummed out when I first started. Like, I didn't know a lot about them. I mean, I'm kind of technology stupid anyways when it comes to this stuff, but, like, I didn't really know a whole lot about the gimbals at first and with the free fly at first I was kind of bummed out like, well, that sucks. You can't use a GoPro with it, but there's so many features of it that are just controlled right through the screen that it, I mean, it just eliminates the need for an action cam using that thing. Like it, it's just the gimbal itself working with your phone. It does so many really cool, like cinema quality things like Travis going through it and had like, it does motion tracking and stuff, I guess. And like a lot of really, really cool stuff that you're not going to get with a GoPro and a regular gimbal just because it does, you know, interface with your phone with Bluetooth. You've got, they have like a thing called ninja mode and then there's like the dummy mode, which is what I use and Trav uses like the ninja mode. And it's got all kinds of cool shit. So, Okay, real quickly, I got it up on my computer because I haven't, you know, looked this one up yet. So the Freefly Movie is that yep. it? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I okay. think it's rad, dude. Like it is very, very cool. Like the battery life is pretty decent, all things considered. Um, takes a while to charge, you know, and like it, we're kind of lucky because each of us have one. 
and so we can swap them out while one's charging. But that that's really, I think, kind of the only drawback is if you're filming somewhere kind of remote and stuff, you're going to want to have some sort of a battery pack or something to charge it off of. Um, it's probably going to take a while, though. So, I like, unless you have power accessible and have some time, like, I would recommend really planning your shots so that you end up not running out of battery and kind of screwing your day over. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not bad for 300 bucks. I think I paid, I want to say around 200 for the one for my iPhone, or for my iPhone, for my GoPro. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I got to look up what mine was and see if I could find something. Now the I would trick. Uh, I'll go ahead. Sorry. Uh, sorry. The only trick is I just want to make, <laughs> I just want to mention this since we're talking about it. Um, we as free fly did just end of life, the movie, but a lot of dealers like moment, for example, still have them. So you can still get them there, but free fly won't be, won't be producing anymore. Which is sad to me because like, like I said, with me being kind of a dumbass with technology and stuff, that thing has been great to use. Like it's not, you know, the, the basic mode of it is just perfect for somebody like me. Nice. Totally recommend it. It's a great product. Right. Unfortunately, it's not going to be around much longer. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll see how long. But I mean, and yeah, it's like three hundred dollars is, you know, a little steep for a gimbal. You, you know, or like at least hard to justify sometimes. But you did spend twelve hundred on your phone, so yeah. I, you know, <laughs> and I mean, like, it get it while you can, and just be nice to it, and the thing's probably going to last. I mean, it, yeah, it's just I've had I, mine for a year, and I have basically abused it, and I've had no problems to this point. Oh yeah, we've ran into it and everything else. And <laughs> yeah, it's been fine. I've driven into mine so many times. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's no, and it's just it. It actually like because of the fact that it's not frustrating and it does have those two modes, so that it can cater to more experienced people or beginners. Like it's not frustrating to use, and the fact that you're like not frustrated trying to figure it out makes using it super super fun and is you kind of become more comfortable and want to start trying new stuff and everything. It's rad that it's packed with so many features that, you know, you're able to use later on down the line. Even if you think, you know, like, wow, 300 bucks is kind of a lot. I don't know. I would, I would honestly say it's worth getting because they're not going to, you know, like Travis said, they're not going to be available and it, it's really, really a cool piece of equipment to have. So if I, I would, recommend if you're in the market for something like that just bite the bullet get one of them and you know cry about it later because you're gonna enjoy it yeah all right um the next one is from chris trudeau he asks with winter approaching in the northwest anyways is this the time when people are building more and crawling less stay the same or do people tend to have dedicated winter rigs that get driven more than others and if people do have downtime what preventative maintenance should people be doing I never thought about winter rigs before. Yeah, me neither. Well, um, my answer to this one is if you're somebody who truly enjoys building RC cars or rigs, whatever, throughout the um, throughout the year, I don't really think that there is a time you pick to, like, you know, work on rigs or whatever. But um, you just, like, I don't know. For winter, for me, it's like, I don't know, it's a catch-22. I mean, we're still, I know it's 
fall, and I'm doing air quotes right now, but uh, we're still getting hit with like 85 to 90 degree weather every day, and it's freaking ridiculous. Um, but uh, typically once winter actually hits, you know, you have like Christmas, you have all the holidays, so it's like some of your money gets spent there, so it's kind of still hard to build. That's why I was going to say I don't really think of like winter being like a building season. Um, and then I guess when he says winter rigs, I mean, I'll tell you right now, I don't have a dedicated rig that works like just for winter. Um, I've taken some rigs out in the snow, but they're not like my like winter rigs. It's just they're just the rigs that I run, so it's like – you know, just want to see how they do, you know, in the snow and or rain. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, that's really, I guess, my only answer. And if you were going to do any kind of preventative maintenance, now would be the time to kind of, I guess, take everything apart. Just kind of like look to make sure that you don't have any like missing parts or parts that are broken. Clean up any grease that's, you know, come out of anywhere that, you know, it shouldn't be. Take your transmissions apart. Make sure that you've got plenty of grease um, and, you know, go from there. Between running the SOR products or CowRC, there's plenty of, you know, um, items to use to, you know, get your rigs back up and ready for, I guess you could say, the fall or spring or summer. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that, probably like the biggest thing to worry about in the wintertime is just going to be your bearings really, you know, like be mindful of that. Like I know like lately if I've been driving something and it's wet out, I uh, actually like spray the whole rig down with WD-40 when I'm done just because things rust so quickly up here. And so I kind of do that and it helps displace some of the water and stuff. But like I don't have a dedicated winter rig or anything. I mean, I have like some that probably will, you know, work better than others, but I don't know. I mean, honestly, like for me, wintertime, nothing really changes. I mean, if anything in the past, I probably go crawling more in the winter just because parking is easier at a lot of the places that we go to and there's not a lot of people around because in the summertime it's super touristy up here and so it gets really busy and some of the parks now with like COVID and stuff they have like a 10 car limit in the parking lot even so it's kind of crazy right now so this will kind of this winter I'm kind of hoping will be my time to get some good wheeling in because this summer's just been madness and haven't really gotten to drive nearly as much as we wanted to. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Kim asks, here's an interesting question for you guys. Who would be on your picks to be on Mount Rushmore of RC when it comes to builders, drivers, or just overall legends of RC? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I I know there's some guys that, definitely would think that they belong on Mount Rushmore (laughs) that build. Um, I I don't know. I honestly, I don't want to answer that question. Like I, there's some people that I know that are like super talented and like, I've gotten to know them pretty well over this past year. Um, several of them are on the, uh, element RC team and it's, been really fun like communicating with them more and stuff and like kind of learning who these guys are behind some of the great builds um like i don't know i mean like some of the guys that like i really like respect and kind of look up to um 
like Jade Warburton, he builds really solid stuff. That it's all like super clean looking and not you know overdone with a bunch of stupid like three D printed stuff all over him. So he's one of them. Um, Mike from Mike's RCH on Instagram. Uh, that dude does a lot of really clean work, and he takes some really cool video. In fact, he did a uh, some great video not too long ago where he hung a GoPro off the side of a rig and was following another one, and it was it made for a great like POV video, so it looked really good. But um, I don't know. I, I don't want to like hurt anybody's feelings by like skipping somebody. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of a it's dangerous not question. A, not a good question for the scale okay. world. Are you, yeah. are you ready? I got my answer, and I don't care whose feelings it hurts. Go for it. All right. Jay, Travis, myself, and our intern. Done. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I like that one. All right. Moving We're on. A, mon- a monument to all your sins. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris Jones, he asks, guys, I'm looking for suggestions on a bulletproof brushless setup for my Bomber 2.0. I'm kind of leaning toward Castlemon, but ESC, the motor, however, I'm not sure on. I would like it pretty fast, like you four comp fast. How would you guys choose a good option? Thanks, guys. Hmm. Um, Basically, I guess my answer would be, and I, I guess this is kind of like, what's the word? This is a bias um, answer. Um, the Castle ESC, like the Mamba X, um, is a great ESC. I haven't had any issues with mine. Um, if you're going for something super fast and you're not really going to be crawling it, pretty much any brushless motor um, and probably the you know 3,000 um, and plus KV um, – I'm obviously gonna probably say like a Holmes, like the Polar Pro, would get would be you know more than enough. Um, you could also run the Tekken. Uh, I know that their uh, ESC is element proof, so there's not really much you have to do to it um, to keep it you know waterproof. Um, and then same with the Rock 412 is element proof now, so you can kind of go crazy with that. But anything 3,000 you know, KV and above, you'll be golden. Yeah, I, I agree. I think 3,000, you know, right anything right around there, like the Tekken ones that I have are 3,100 KV. Like, if you're going to run a 3-cell, I think 3,000 KV, like that neighborhood is super good to go with, and you'll be happy because it's going to crawl really good, and it's going to have some really good top speed. Um, historically... Trav and I have been brushed guys as far as, far as crawlers go um, just because of, you know, they get the job done and they're relatively inexpensive and when you have like a stupid big fleet of cars like we do, it just makes sense to, you know, like brush just makes more sense with what we're doing. But like the Gatekeeper and the Bomber both have the... Um, Rock 412 and the RX4 ESC, and uh, I haven't spent a lot of time with them in the past. The Gatekeeper is the most I've driven with the brushless system, and I have really, really enjoyed it. Um, like it's just there's just ridiculous amounts of power on tap if you want it. Um, 
but it, it just it slow crawls really really good and with the gatekeeper like I kind of wanted it to be like you know ultra four cars are like in the real world are a do a do it all vehicle you know it's like they got to go fast in the desert they got to be able to jump they got to be able to rock crawl so they're a good do it all vehicle and I thought well okay that's kind of what I'm envisioning this build being with the gatekeeper when I look at it I think immediately you know U4 and so I wanted to kind of replicate you know that like broad use for that vehicle since it is an RC version of an ultra four car and so the brushless system made sense for that and what was kind of weird you know like looking for more top speed so that you could like actually jump stuff and everything we ended up going with like 28 pinion and a 78 spur gear on it which is pretty darn tall really for a crawler and I was super concerned that I was going to have heat issues. Not so much, you know, like going fast or anything, just because we've been racing enough to where, you know, you kind of know, like, gearing-wise what you're going to run into with, like, temps and stuff. And, like, where, you know, with with gearing it tall like this, you kind of, like, I expected it to get hot. Like, we've been around the hobby enough to know that, okay, if I'm gearing this thing tall, when I take it out to crawl, I want to be keeping an eye on my motor temperature because I don't want to, you know, kill the thing. And so I was kind of expecting some heat issues, and it wasn't. Like, the thing just stays, like, ambient air temperature no matter what you're doing. Like, there was one video I did where it was seriously, like, half hour just doing take after take of just high-speed stuff just on and off the throttle a bunch, just really, really doing a lot of bad things that normally build heat in an electric, you know, in electronics. And it, it just, it wasn't getting hot. And so for that reason, just because I know how like people get, electronics are expensive. And when you have something fail, people get super, super bummed out about it. And after the experience that I've had with this Tekken setup and the tall gearing and having it work so well, because, I mean, with having it geared tall, it makes it super soft off the bottom, and it makes for some really great slow crawling. So, I mean, really now, I mean, I I wouldn't even hesitate to tell people, you know, go with, like, the Tekken brushless system and play around with your gearing because I, I honestly feel that it can you know, take it and you can kind of achieve that like gear ratio to where you can really have that car be the best of both worlds. It's like without, you know, even having to touch any of your programming or re-gearing it or anything. I mean, you can have one system that just does everything. So I, I've been super, super happy with it. Um, I don't really have anything else to compare it to, obviously, since I am a Tekken driver. But, you know, Trav and I, we've had our choice obviously of their products and stuff you know to use and I from now on like I I, this is definitely going to be something I'm going to be kind of you know looking to spend some more time with so if you're you know looking for like a great brushless system yeah it is going to be fairly expensive but I it's a super solid setup and they stand behind their product so I mean just after having like some personal use with it and experience I can honestly say you know you're not going to go wrong with getting one of those sorry that was a very long sentence <laughs> paragraph um <laughs> that was an essay was it was essay. all right um david gustafsson he said crawler lighting what do you prefer and why uh 
Oh, what do you prefer and why? Light system runs off the receiver's power source or powered off a separate battery? That's a good question. Adam, what do you do? Because honestly, I kind of want to know what you I do like self we've never talked about it. Yeah, I like self-emitting collapsed suns in my LED capsule. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that just power themselves. Well, I mean, so, well, okay. You're going to have to actually do that again because I was reading an email and <laughs> wasn't paying what? attention. Yeah, because my phone keeps going off and I go, what is the emergency? It's just... Stupid client, but anyways. I'm starting um, to question your dedication here. My dedication is here. Come this, on, this I said guy. the four of us are going to be on the Mount Rushmore of RC. The Monument to Sins, yes. So. All right. Uh, what was it? I got to find it again. Okay. What do you prefer and why? Light systems run off the receiver as a power source or powered off a separate battery? Okay, neither. So what I typically do is I run it off the same battery, and this is just the way I run my stuff. I'm not saying that I my way is the right way. I'm just saying this is how I do it. So what I typically do is if you run off the receiver as a light source, you're only going to get six, um, 6 volts because your receiver automatically, most of them, have a six volt rating so that's why a lot of people will add like a BEC so that we don't have brownouts for your servos or any other higher demand electronics so what I typically do since I already run 3S which is you know just shy of 12 volts um, I will actually make like a lead off of like for instance I have the battery plug in and if that power goes to your ESC then I have a lead that goes elsewhere and I typically will either a if I'm not being super lazy I'll come up with a switch somewhere located somewhere so I could flip the switch and turn on the lights that way I don't have to like take the body off again otherwise my simple tried and true method is just use like a JST plug I have one go into the light source or lights you know whether that be in the body rock lights whatever and then um, yeah just have, and then just plug it in when you need it, and that's it. Uh, it's as simple as it gets. Um, it's pretty much like fail-proof. I've never had any issues with it running this way. Um, the key really comes down to the lights you're using because, like, for instance, if you try to do my method with any of the stock, well, at least the last time I tried, with any of the stock RTR, like, axial lights, you're going to blow them up because they're not meant to run off um, 11 amps. Yeah. So uh, that's going to be kind of like what you have to look for. So if you have a light that's only rated for like 6 amps, you're going to have to come up with a way to, you know, dumb it down so that way you're not going to blow it. Otherwise, I just go straight off the battery and that's it. Yeah, a lot of the newer light bars, like I, I really like the Proline ones because they're just ridiculously bright. Um they will work off of receiver power or battery power, you know, up to, you know, like a 3S. So, you know, and there's nothing you have to change. It just automatically can handle that voltage. So I, I really like using those. Um, the problem is, like, when I very first got into this, I tried running it off the receiver, and exactly like you said, like, I would turn the servo and the lights would shut off. And it, you know, because it would cause a brownout. So, 
I mean, no, I honestly like no matter what, I I don't really run any of the lights unless it is like an RTR string that I'm using on you know something else. But like most of the time, I'm using our you know SOR lights, and I just kind of make stuff myself. I don't you know other than light bars, like I said, I don't really have a lot of you know, experience using other brands, but I do like you do and run JST plugs, but like I go a little overboard on the JST plugs whenever I'm soldering up electronics. I do a JST lead coming off of the posts at the ESC, and that's usually where I plug the BEC in. Um, I stop direct wiring all of my BECs, and just have it going into a JST from now on because it's super easy to like take apart and if you have to change your wiring or reconfigure something, it just makes it super convenient so that you don't have to unsolder stuff. So I'll put a JST plug at the ESC. I put one at the Dean's connector on the ESC because I use Dean's on our crawler stuff. And then on all my batteries, I also solder in a JST on the Dean's plug on the batteries as well. That way, you know, you've got three power sources right there that if you want to add rock lights, headlights, uh, light bar, whatever it is that you're trying to do, even if you want to like power a winch too, because some winches can handle 12 volts, it doesn't hurt to have all those different connectors there on tap. And it does make for some really clean wiring too. And, you know, with being able to unplug everything, it's not just this big like rat's nest of like just shit like you see a lot of people do so it's a good way of like tidying up your wiring and stuff but really I mean I for anything really bright and like awesome on the market I really think like going to the battery and stuff is the way to go I just receivers and my experience can't really hack it now the only thing I will add is I've never tried it, but I do think it's kind of cool. I just think it's a lot of extra wiring just to make it work. Um, I know people that actually will get like a light controller, and what they'll do is, yes, it plugs directly into the battery, but then you plug in a lead to your receiver so that way you could pick a channel on your remote and you can turn that as your light switch. Um, it's, it's, it's a cool function so that way like you're just driving and you just oh push one of your you know channels and boom it turns on the lights um my only thing is like i said typically when you get super like like when wiring gets that out of hand you have a lot of extra wires and now you got to route everything and keep it all nice and neat without looking like a rat's nest and that's not always easy to do so that's why i've always just gone to the tried and true um plug-and-play method, and the reason why I also go to the JST is because just like with a lot of like the RTRs, if there's lights in the body and you're pulling the body off, you want something to be able to undo so you can, you know, do whatever you have to do and then put everything back together. And actually, um, there's a really cool product that PowerShift has that makes doing what we're talking about super easy. Um, PowerShift... Technologies is uh, they sell direct and then they also sell through uh, a main, but they have um, it's it's a balance plug, but it's the female end, and then it's got a JST on the end of it. So you just plug it into your balance lead, and right there you've got another hot lead coming off of it. So that that's kind of a neat little part that they they make and sell. 
Yeah, I was going to say my one and only lit LED, like, I guess you could say kit, um, actual, like, something that I bought that was already all done and soldered together. I just had to, like, route it and all that stuff um, is actually on my SCX-10 III, and that light connector is what you said, the female end of the balance plug, and it only has literally two wires, the one grabbing the black wire and the red wire, um, and that's it. Yeah, it's it's a really clean way to add stuff. Like, you know, if you've already, like, gone to the trouble of, like, running your wiring and if, you know, like, if you loomed it or anything like that, if you've gone to, like, you know, a lot of effort to make stuff clean and you do want to add something, you know, just get one of those. And, I mean, it, it's just so easy and it saves so much time and frustration. So it's just, it's a neat add-on. Nice. Okay, um, Scooter Scott, for a scale look, would you do 1.9s with 4.19 tire or 1.55s with the 4.19 tire? It just depends on the body and the build. I mean, just whatever you feel looks appropriate on it. I don't, I don't really think there's like a right answer to that. I, I think he's asking that because this has been something on his mind with the 6x6 that he's building right now. And so I, you know, I, gotcha. I think that that's kind of what he's referring to because he's been kicking around like tire size trying to decide. Because I mean, he's got like a really cool build going. So I, you know, I I get why he's trying to figure that out. I just, just I don't think there's a right answer. Is the only thing just whatever you think looks good on what you're building. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, it really comes down to the your own personal build. Um, there's certain builds I do that I'm like, you know what, I want this tire to look good. Um, and then there's other, you know, builds where you're like, you know what, even at 4.19, it's going to look too big. So I'm going to drop down to a 155. Like I still have that 155 build waiting to happen, but, um, yeah, but that's just the direction I'm going. Cause I kind of wanted to have that class one feel. It really comes down to like the direction you want to go. It's, you know, like everything personal preference. I think Scott needs to trust his own judgment because he's done a really good job on that build so far. So, like, whatever he ends up deciding to do, it, it's still going to look good no matter what. So, Agreed. He's on the right track. Um, also, real quick, I want to plug him real fast because he... I don't know if anyone knows this, but he does, um, like, small, like, scale boxes... Mm-hmm. And so he's he's selling those, and right now you can get a like pack of. I don't. I have to go to his Facebook page real quick to double check. But for thirty bucks, you get a random pack, uh, like a random assortment of these boxes, um, which are perfect for like scale garages and stuff like that. Um, yeah, flash sale boxes. How many are in here? Twelve pre-selected scale boxes, thirty bucks shipped. So if you guys are interested in that, uh, PMs, uh, PM him and go check out his page if you want, like, a deeper look. He does, like, really, really detailed scale boxes, like, in the right angles. You wouldn't even know it's a miniature version, so. Yeah, and his photos are great because he has, like, a full-on, like, scale hobby shop that has 
inventory, like all these boxes of like RTRs and kits and stuff. It's it's really really cool. Like just take the time to look through his Facebook page or his Instagram and check out what he's been doing because it's pretty neat. I I always thought it'd be neat to like have like let's say like the trail runner for example and like throw in the back seat of it you know the box to a trail runner or something i just thought that'd be kind of a cool little touch to do so yeah his, his stuff's really cool it's definitely worth checking out it's it, really creative yeah um west braswell what are the best 155 tires for performance it seems a lot of them are for looks but not performance i hear that a lot because historically like rc four-wheel drive tires their compounds are kind of hard um Aside from that, I, I don't really have much to say about it. I've, I've actually never really driven anything with 155s. Like, that's what the Trail Runner came with, but I threw SSD wheels and Proline tires on it, like, immediately. So, I've, I honestly, I don't think I've ever driven anything with tires that little. Yeah, same here. And um, basically, the answers would be very similar. I've only really ever heard of, you know people running RC four-wheel drive. Um, if I'm not mistaken, which I'm going to try and do while I'm procrastinating my answer, I believe Pitbull has 155 tires, and they're known for trying to, like, make their all their tires, regardless of their 2219, you know. They try to make them, um, you know, perform. So I was going to say maybe um, Pitbull, if you wanted something for performance. Well, pr- actually, this is... Got it. Kind of a good segue here too. Um, Proline just came out with their very first 155, and it's a TSL Super Swamper. So that's a brand new release from them. So at some point I'll be trying those, but I really don't have a. I don't. I don't have a rig really that something that small would look good on right now. You know, unless I like get another CR12 and do like a Samurai build again or something, you know, then, then like the 155 Swampers would be super sick on like a little Samurai. But I, I, I kind of feel like the thing to keep in mind with like a tiny tire build like that is like, yeah, tire performance obviously is going to help. Like, I mean, when you kind of, like, break everything down, like, tire choice is one of the biggest things to making one of these trucks actually even work. Um, With, I, I think it's important to keep in mind, though, that when you start getting down into super scale sizes they're going to be going on super scale builds so really like how much performance are you kind of expecting to get out of it anyways to begin with you know what i'm saying it's it's like you're not going to have like some crazy like line slaying beast that has 155s on it you know i mean like it it just isn't something you typically see so really i mean I, I I don't think I'd worry about that too much. Like for me, if I was building something like that, I think looks would be my first priority on going with something that little and super scale. And then how it works is just kind of a byproduct. I'd figure it out, you know, like either saw some, let them, you know, sit in a bag of WD-40 or Paragon or something for a week or so to soften them up. I mean, there's things you can do to make the rubber compound work better. So... Honestly, like I would, I'd pick something that looks right and is what you're going for, and then you can kind of massage those tires to where you can get them to work a little bit better, you know. So, 
Yeah, so I was on A main right now, and I was right. Uh, Pipple makes a handful of their normal size tires in 155, and they all have the label Alien Compound, so I'm sure those are pretty sticky. Yeah. So, so yeah, so Wes, if you want to try, I would say maybe look into Pipple. Yeah. See, uh, see how those work for you. Growlers have a really cool tread pattern, too. Like, those look really realistic. Yes. And they have those. They have the PBX, the Rock Beast, the Berserker, um, and the XOR, which are very aggressive. Nice. Um... Jerry Shields, I'm going to be building a gatekeeper soon. Any build tips? The show is great. Keep it up. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Um, well, I guess this is probably a me question then. Um, yeah. Build tips. Get, okay, like, I think the very first thing that I'm going to tell people when they get a gatekeeper is make sure you have a power driver because all the hard plastic that's on it, while it is absolutely awesome and it's really, you know, it slides really good being that harder compound. Oh my God, dude, trying to start some of those screws and that stuff. Um, it, it can be tricky. I, I used a body reamer to kind of bevel the edge of the holes on some spots so that I could get the screw to go in easier. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you're going to end up with, like, carpal tunnel or something if you try and build it with just regular hand tool. But uh, if when you get the gatekeeper, I would definitely suggest having some sort of a power driver. Um, if you're going to add a spare or anything like that to the rear, um, I feel that the stock springs are a little bit soft. And so, I mean, for just leaving it, how it is like on the box, you know, and not doing a bunch of crazy stuff to it. The spring rate's fine, but when you add like a spare and you start putting a bunch of other stuff on, I immediately noticed that I needed stiffer springs. So I ended up going with, because uh, I've got a full aluminum, you know, SSD wheel with a spare tire and foam and everything, you know. So I mean, it, it is fairly heavy and that's a lot of weight leveraged out on the very back of that rig. Um, I used the black. IFS springs that come with the kit. You can buy them separately, and I think they're $6 from Associated. So if you're going to run like a spare tire or anything like that, I would suggest getting those black springs for the IFS. Um, it's also going to make it climb a little bit better too because it's going to be stiffer in the back than it is in the front. Um, aside from that, it was a super, super fun build. Like the fit and finish was all really, really polished. Um there's a lot of very clever things as far as like how they had got stuff to fit together and everything like the way the trailing arms mount and how that's built into the rock sliders and stuff is super clever. Um, there's a lot of really neat little things they did to it like really, really wide um, Allen head screws that are for the top shock mounts so you don't have to use a washer anymore. Um just really cool stuff. It's going to be a super, super fun kit. There's really not a lot you need to know about it other than the fact that, you know, your hands are going to get tired if you don't have a drill to use. I thought your first answer was going to be uh, get a case of Monster. 
<laughs> only if you're gonna try and like do the entire thing start to finish with paint and a wrap and stuff in 24 hours time then you'll have to buy a case of monster to make that happen but uh, <laughs> you'll be okay if you take your time with it um, next one from Nemo Sandoval he says Proline just announced 1.55 inch tires. Do you think they will eventually release a 1.0 for 24th scale vehicles? Would add some nice scale looks. They used to have one inch flat irons when they had their little ambush crawler, but they aren't on their site anymore, so I don't think they have them. I don't know. I, I don't know if 24 scale is going to get that big. Like RC4 wheel drive is really kind of the only company right now making like wheels and tires and stuff for them, you know, like. Hot Racing's making a lot of hop-up stuff and everything for the 24 scales, but it doesn't really seem like anybody else has hopped on that train yet. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody else. You already nailed it again with RC 4 drive. Yeah, I mean, and they have some really cool tires for it, too. I mean, they've got, like, Swamper uh, Boggers. They've got a tire that looks a lot like the BFG Crawler. Um think it's the rock crusher or something like that is what they call it but no they, they have a lot of really cool tires i i wish proline would because it would be super sick to have like one inch predator compound tires because that would be pretty rad for 24th scale but i wouldn't really hold my breath yeah um donnie clark what is the best option for charging lipo batteries at a weekend event when there is no electrical camping um, depends on your charger. Like, a lot of the higher-end chargers for a long time needed their own power supply, but doesn't it kind of seem like any more lately, like, all of them are just, you know, have a regular a 110 plug on them and the power supply is inside? I mean, doesn't that kind of seem like the direction people are going? I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say, we have two. We have one. That, what's the one company? I want to say it's like Electron Pro or something like that. And then I also have my High Tech X4. And both come with just a standard 120-volt uh, wall outlet. Um, and the other thing, too, is actually both of those came with their own, um, I guess you call them crab claws, whatever you want to call them. So you can actually just hook it up to your battery on your car and charge from there. Yeah, see, that's what my art, my eye charger is like. It it has alligator clips that plug into the leads that go to your power supply. And uh, when Travis and I went on our trip, we I had bought a deep cycle marine battery just because I was super paranoid about like running the battery dead on my truck and not having anybody around to jump or anything. And so I bought a deep cycle battery at Walmart. I want to say it was like. 80 or 90 bucks by the time I had like a box and stuff to put it into, you know, like the plastic boxes to secure it and cover it. Um, so it was about 80 bucks and uh, we just charged off of that the entire time and like had no issues. Um, before I had that, I would, I don't know, I mean, I've charged a couple packs before just with the alligator clips on my car battery and it's worked really good. Um, the other thing you can do is just hop on Amazon and find an inexpensive inverter. And as long as, you know, it's not like this super high amp draw charger, like if you're charging, you know, fairly low at like, you know, 
probably five amps max. I would think that most inverters could probably power a 120 style charger, you know, so just plug it into your cigarette lighter and then plug your charger into it and go. That's a pretty easy thing to do. And inverters really aren't that expensive. I, th- I think that you can get a decent one for around 30 bucks. Yeah. Um, Brad Geck seems like 1.55s have taken over and 2.2 is near dead and the go. <laughs> Agree. Yeah. When's the last time you saw two twos anywhere? Like genuinely. Um, I see two twos on two of my rigs, but they would, I would say three of my rigs, but one of my rigs are no longer going to be running two twos once I finally finish it. Yeah. It's, I don't, two twos are just, it's too easy. You know, I mean, you can pick harder obstacles, but you don't always have that luxury. Cause I mean, like not everybody has places to drive, like what you have Adam and like what we have and stuff, you know, local to where we live. But you know, it's like, there's some spots here where if you have a two, two rig, you know, you can find something a little, little more difficult, but for the most part, they just make everything too simple. They look super silly next to, one nine rigs and stuff like it, you know, I mean, it's like, they look like 60 or 70 inch tires on a truck. Like they, they look funny. And so I'm really picky and don't really like them, but I don't know. Like I think one five five is definitely going to become more popular because everybody's going like super scale. Like it seems like there's kind of a real movement right now with like people building scale like trail trucks, not necessarily scale crawlers. You know, it's like they're building a trail truck that can do some light crawling and stuff, you know, when you come to obstacles on the trail. But I mean I don't know. I I I think it's a cool direction that they're going. Um I hope that more people do it because it just adds to the challenge and it looks super, super cool. Yeah. Um, David Pig, he asks, do you think 1.7 will catch on or am I the only one hoping so wanting to see a class one 1.7 with 4.19 tires? Doesn't that seem kind of like an oddball size that just didn't really gain popularity? Like it just never caught traction, no pun intended. It, it kind of reminds me of like almost the, uh, what's the, uh, it's like, I'm trying to think, like, even in the one-to-one, there's an actual size that's not that popular, but it's, like, only in, like, one little, like, niche. Um, not 17.5s, is it? No, 16.5s used to be, you know, the thing, and then all of a sudden those fell off. Um, I want to say 19s. There's a, there's a, I don't know if it's, like, the street scene runs them, but there's, like, these 19s, and it's just, like, you're, like, really 19s? Like, what, like... Yeah, why not get a 20? You've got more tire choices then. Exactly. Yeah, so, that's weird. That's really weird. It's. I think it's kind of the same thing. I just don't think the 1.7 is going to take I, off. I think it's cool. Like, honestly, I mean, like, from a manufacturer's standpoint, it it's kind of a gamble because you're, like, hoping that people are going to dig it and buy into it. Um I think having more sizes like that is really cool because sometimes a 1.7 would look a lot better than a 1.9 or a 155 depending on what it is that you're building and I think it'd be rad to have that option 
but I think that for a lot of the manufacturers and stuff, it's just too much of a gamble and there's not enough people demanding something like that in order for them to kind of take the plunge and start producing more of them. That, I mean, that's just my like observation. I mean, that's purely speculation. Of course, it's just, you know, what I think. Fair. What about you, Adam? What do you think? You think that, I mean, do you think like realistically that you're going to see something like that or is it just kind of like what I said? It's exactly like what you said. I don't think we're going to see anything. Yeah. Bummer, but that's probably the reality of it. Yeah. Uh, Then our last question from Glenn Taylor. Do you think Element will release cardboard garage kits for us folks that don't have an RTR version, got it used? When did Glenn get an element, and what one did he get? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I huh. think he might just be asking generally. Anyways. Oh, gotcha. I, I wish that Glenn had element rigs because then he could use some of our stuff on him. That'd be kind of neat. I think he'd enjoy it. Um, I don't know. No, I, I don't think they're going to be selling the boxes or anything unless they have like a surplus of them or something. I mean, there, there's. There's dudes willing to part with them that you can find on, like, the element groups and stuff, but, you know, how do you ship it without it getting jacked up? And, you know, I I don't know. It's... Yeah. I I just don't see it happening. Unfortunately. Um, Yeah, that's all the questions. That's it. In just under an hour. That wasn't bad. Yeah. So do we want to cover some new stuff? Yeah. We can do that. Okay. Red Cat. Uh, updated version of the Gen 8. It's their Gen 8 V2. Clear windows, which is cool. It, it is amazing, like, seeing the pictures of their new Scout with the clear windows, like, just how much better that looks than the ones that they had before with the stickers. Like, I don't think the sticker ones look terrible necessarily, but... Once you see like that body with clear windows, it looks really, really good. So they've got like a blue version, a green version. It looks like you have a couple different stripe choices on the decal sheet that comes with it. Um, they've beefed up a lot of the parts that are in it. They've addressed the uh, portal gears, which I guess some people were breaking and having some issues with. So those are updated and stronger. So looks like Red Cat fans have a better, stronger Gen 8 available to them now. Um, Proline just came out with that really cool dually wheel. That That's a crazy setup, especially that you can, like, keep adding like, wheels to it infinitely and make, like, you know, whatever. So it's kind of neat the way they've got it set up all modular. They're kind of a cool military-looking style wheel, so if you guys haven't uh, seen that yet, head on over to ProLine's site and you can check it out. Um, as we talked about earlier, they got a new 155 Swamper. So that was really cool. Um, gosh, what else? Gatekeeper should be hitting shelves. Um, I feel like there's more that I'm forgetting right now. Oh, ProLine came out with the Trencher, which most crawler guys probably aren't going to know this, but like the Trencher was like a really popular basher tire, and they scaled down that tread pattern 
and have it available in a 475 XL size tire now for scalers. And uh, it looks like it worked really good. I think it'd be cool to check out. And it's available in their uh, Predator compound or the G8 compound. And I think the G8s are available right now already if you're looking to get them from their site. Uh, the Predator compound, it looks like they're out of stock on those at the moment. But that is going to be another cool one. Um, kind of a neat alternative to the Hyrax. They look like they're going to work really, really well. So I'm sure at some point we'll get a set of those pretty soon. That would actually be kind of a cool tire to try out on your power wagon, actually. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Have you seen them yet? Have you seen the picture of them? Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of a neat tread design. Like, they don't have a whole lot of, like, aggressive side lugs like the Hyrax does or even the Crawler. Um, you know, at first glance, they actually look, you know, fairly scale until you really start examining the tread pattern and you realize, you know, that it's not like a licensed tire or anything. Right, but, right. But, I mean, at first quick glance, it, they look fantastic. So I think that'll be a really cool one. Um, yeah. Adam, is there anything new on the axial front at all? Or um, no, I mean, I've firsthand seen the new, um, I guess what's the word, like the straight, you know, non-portal axles from them. They just have not been released yet. Um, I don't know when they're going to be released, but uh, basically, it looks just like their um, their portal version. Sorry, I was drawing a blink at what it was called. I was going to say capper axles, but it's the portal axles. They look very they look identical. They just don't have the big portal C on the end of the front, and they don't have the big drop down in the rear. So um, that'll be pretty cool once those come out. Those have um, like the the same like neat looking truss molded into it and stuff with all the holes. Correct. It's identical, just non portal. That's the only difference. Dude, that's so cool that they did that as, as an option. Like, that was a really good idea. Um, the thing that I'm actually really jealous of is the fact that the new diff cover looks super sick, and I don't think it works on the 10-2, and yeah. Really? Huh, I yeah. haven't seen that yet. Is it on their website? Uh, I don't know if it's on their website. I can look. I'm, I'm checking right now if you, don't, if you can't unlook in here. Does the does it come on any of the current rigs or? I don't believe so. Because um, I see the red one on the Gladiator. Let me look at the Gladiator, the stock Gladiator, real quick. See if there's like a up close picture that I can see because that one kind of like the Gladiator cover nope. looks. Nope. Oh, that's not it. That's not it. That one almost looks like a Traxxas one on the AR45, like the stock one. Like it's got kind of that crazy shape to it. No, so it looks more like it looks more like a aftermarket like steel one, like that you would find like somebody would put on their Dana 44. Um, it's it's it looks really cool. Is it kind of like relatively flat or something? Yeah. No kidding. That's cool. Kind of reminds you know what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the old school um, Vanquish um, Dana or Dana sixty the uh, AR sixty covers. Oh yeah, because they had just it wasn't a Curry or anything. It was just a 
aluminum version of the AR-60 at one time, right? Correct. And it yeah, was like that. that cover looked really cool. And it had that like flat kind of like diamond shape to it. It's like hard to explain. It's you know, it's like had the flat section and then that flat flat section tapered off in every direction. Kind of yeah, thing. It, it looked like it was made out of flat plate, and like they cut yeah. it and like put it in a break, and then welded the seams. Like, yeah, it was really, really cool looking. Yeah, so that's basically what it looks like, but it's plastic. So, Dude, diff covers and scale hardware are probably two of the most like overlooked things that you could add to a rig. Like, that's some really easy scale points right there. If you think about it, like if that's like your thing and you're doing Sorka comps and stuff, but like scale hubs, diff cover, and scale hardware totally changes how realistic something looks. And most of that stuff really isn't that expensive, and it's a really cool thing. And like I, I kind of feel like it's something that people should pay more attention to because it adds a lot. Yeah. Oh, and then that was the other thing. Um, not that it's like anything new or life changing, but uh, Vanquish did just announce that they are gonna have scale hardware and wrenches that fit it specifically, which was really cool looking. Yeah. So I guess now you won't have to just go to um, Locked Up RC for scale hardware. Um, I didn't see if they released a price yet, but um, I It'll be interesting I think to it, see. I think it was a lot because I got a message from Ty, and he goes, "It's pretty bad when you spend one hundred twenty-five dollars just on scale hardware." <laughs> I was like, yeah. Oh my god! Wow. Well, I mean, even well, I mean, locked up RC isn't bad. I mean, I pay. I think I. I think the last set of scale hardware I got, I want to say it was like. I want to say it was like eleven bucks, and that'll do like all four wheels. It's. Yeah. I want to say I could be wrong. It might have been like you need two bags, which still is twenty. Like, you know, you're looking at like twenty two to twenty five bucks. Yeah, and here's the thing. Like, I, the I wish SSD would go to the trouble of having more of a presence. Like, making, like they don't really make it known when they release new products or anything like that. Like, you never see announcements. They don't have a Facebook page. Um, their social, their Instagram page is ran by Matt at A Main. Like that's just something he did to try and help him out. But like SSD has a sick assortment of scale hardware. Um, Team K and K does now too. They just came out with a bunch as well. So I mean, like there's like four good options now for scale hardware, and um, most of these guys are offering silver gold or black scale hardware and like SSD and Vanquish even have scale acorn nut bolts you know like it's a bolt but the head of it actually looks like a regular acorn nut like you would see on normal one to one wheels so that that's a really really cool thing too and like like I was saying they actually made a specific driver for that and then also the little 1.5s you know that go around the beadlock ring but super cool it's just no one ever I don't know. No one ever knows about this stuff. Which is actually funny that you bring that up. Um, I was just on SSD's um, website looking at some stuff. Uh, they have overdrive portal gears for the SCX-10 III and the Capra. Nice. See, you would never know that because I think right now you've got Super Shafty and Team Garage Hack 
and I want to say those are the only two that are doing overdrive gears for the portals on those. Like SSD is like another one of those brands that is just super underrated. Like they have rad stuff, and like I've got their drive lines on that one nine bomber, and man, those things are beefy. Like just they have a lot of cool stuff. It's just they're not good at like letting the rest of the world know about it, and I like I it it makes me wish I could like help them in some way or something, you know, because like their stuff really is good. I mean, their axles are rad. I've had all kinds of SSD axles now, um, a ton of different SSD wheels. Like they've kind of been my go-to for wheels on almost everything this year. And they're just, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's more of like they're kind of an afterthought to most people you know it's not like in the front of their mind when they're building something or looking to shop for some really like cool scale additions like their hardware yeah I'm just scrolling through right now like if you click on their drop down for the SCX 10.3 they have a couple bumpers um Oh, I thought that was for the SCX 10.3. That's what I thought I clicked on, so that's not going to work. I was like, I'm still looking to see if anybody ever comes up with um, an overdrive. Oh, actually, no, that's overdrive. I want to underdrive. They have an overdrive gear set for the SCX 10.2. More bumpers. They got drive shafts. Um, it took a long time for people to start making overdrive for the AR44. Did you notice that? Yeah. Like, I mean, it was like a year or two went by before anybody started making those gears. Well, I believe that's also because of the size of the gears and how, like, the tolerance that they had in there. I just think it was so tight that it was like you had to be, like, dead nuts perfect to have a you know, work right. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine trying to, like, dr I mean, especially you, Trav, like, you can probably relate to this really well, but could you imagine trying to draw a helical cut gear in CAD? Uh, yeah, it's, well, it's... Because it sounds hard, like, when you think about it, like, that sounds really yes, difficult. Yes, but there are also a lot of tools that help with that now. But, I mean, something like that, like, I kind of get, like, what Adam's saying, like, it seems like it'd be an expensive thing to develop and tr like with trying to like test fit stuff like that, like the whole like trial and error process of getting the mesh correct and getting your tolerances right. I would think that could get extremely expensive. Oh, totally. Totally. So, I mean, I, I get why it took a couple of years, but I mean, still it was like usually, usually companies are like just super quick to pounce on that sort of thing. Well, I also think the other thing too was, you know, when the when the AR44 axles came out, you know, the SCX102 worked so well out of the box. I just don't think any that really crossed anybody's mind. They were like, "Oh yeah, we need to change. We need to mess with the axles." You know? Yeah. When I got our first SCX102, like I went from the OG version with over unders in it, and I went to the two, and I. Like, it did not even cross my mind thinking, like, man, this thing could really benefit from overdrive. Like, it just, like you said, it worked so good that it just wasn't even really something you considered it needing. And honestly, I think, you know, and maybe we'll start seeing this a little bit more, but I think Element's approach to the overdrive, doing it up in the transmission or transfer case, whatever you want to call it, 
Um, I think that is probably an easier task than, you know... Oh, yeah, because they're all straight-cut gears, so it's way more simple. Because, like, K&K has element gears for a 25% overdrive now. And, like, elements, like, optional overdrive is, like, 11.8%. 25 is, like, crazy. I mean, like, that is a massive performance gain. Um, Schultz had him in his uh, Comanche that he was driving with us that day that he was up here. And, god damn, dude, like, it... It was awesome. It worked really, really good. At some point, I'm going to order some for Trav and I's two cheater trucks just because, I mean, why not? You know, it would just be super, super fun because it does make a big difference. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, that's such an easier, like, task. It's kind of like changing the gears, which, you know, it'd be nice if Axial would have left a little more room so you could actually fit a couple different size gear ratios in there. But, like, the 10-3 transmission... You either have the two gears that are the same size or you use the smaller gear and the larger gear, but I don't think you can go any bigger than that because it pretty much fills up the whole area. So it's like if they would have you know, left a little more room, you might have been able to change the gear ratio like a couple more teeth and you probably could get a little more crawlability out of it, especially if you're not running um, the portal axles because that was one thing that was pretty interesting uh, following Elio around with the Gladiator because he left that thing bone stock with the portals, and I have a 10.3, so basically it'll be it's the same. I have the same transmission as him, all that stuff, but I have an aftermarket electronics and I don't have the portal axles in it, and it was interesting to see the comparison. And mine is still just a smidge like. When you pull the trigger, it's right at that point where it's still just a smidge too fast. I know I need to drop down from the 12 to an 11 tooth, but that's the lowest I can go with you know, the way that um, motor plate is designed. So I oh, should have... it's all preset, huh? Yeah. Oh, I forgot they did that. I don't so know if you... I like that or not. Well, the only cool thing about it is it takes the guesswork because I'm sorry, there's some people that I guess it's they still don't know how to set up proper gear mesh because like yeah. you, you always know like there's those people like you see them on the trail or hear them on the trail that they <laughs> put those things together and it's just gnarly. It's just like just gears grinding the whole time and you're like, whoa, like your gear mesh is way too tight. And then you get the people that don't have enough gear mesh and they end up spinning it and, you know, busting gears. So it's like, you know, I guess the old method of running a piece of binder paper through it, you know, if you weren't sure was the, you know, the way to kind of set your gear mesh. Um, I always just kind of like made sure that I had a little bit of wiggle room in between it and called it a day. Yeah, I mean, after, like, if you've been doing it for a couple of years, you can kind of eyeball it and, like, tell just by feel, you know, what's okay. Yep. But um, this year with all the drag racing and stuff, gear mesh has been super, super important because it's so easy to strip out your spur gear on these cars yep. because of the amount of power. And what we found to be, like, perfect is a dollar bill. Like, uh, the thickness of the paper of a dollar bill ended up being just, like, dead nuts on perfect for setting the gear mesh on the drag cars and stuff. So that's another really easy way to set it if you guys are 
you know, if that's something you struggle with. And, and I get it. It can be hard because, like, I've tried to, like, set gear mesh before and, like, you go to tighten it down and then all of a sudden it's, like, moved or slipped a little bit just from you tightening it down and that changed it, you know, because even with, like, just the two elongated holes where motors bolt on, there's still, like, some, like, rotational movement there because the tolerances aren't exactly, you know, dead on. And so, you know, when you tighten it, it it's easy to have it come apart. So, I mean, I, I get it. Like what Axial did, it's super foolproof, but I don't know. I mean, like I honestly with that gatekeeper messing with the gearing and stuff on it, I, I've like, it, it changes like how your throttle response is so much and like smooths it out that I kind of like the idea of being able to set your own gear mesh because you have like all these crazy gearing options available, which I'm just now finding out can actually make a rig super, super nice off the bottom. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so it was like, you know, it was just interesting to see like, like the performance gains and, you know, I told, I actually told him, I said, you should throw the same gear set I threw in the transmission and make that thing just a little more, like, you know, lower the ratio just a little bit more, and I bet you that thing will crawl even better. Yeah. So, and then also, like I said, I have, you know, that thing set up, you know, what I would actually say is almost a sweet spot. Like, if you want to circle back to the guy who was asking about um, a bomber setup, um, I'm running a... What am I running on that one? A 2100 KV? I think. 21, 22, somewhere around there. Um, I know it's not the 27. I was going to go with the 27, but after I saw one, I said that's way too fast. So I lo- – or no, that one has the 27. It's my capper that's got the 21. Um, So I put a 27, and it's like the perfect for that rig – with the gearing options they have, it's like the perfect, like I could still slow it down and crawl, but if I want to like goof off and, you know, give it the skinny pedal, I could just full throttle and the thing will take off. Like it's, it's a great, like in the middle of the road kind of setup. Which I think is the shift is going from rock crawling to more trail trucks and stuff and having like trailing becoming more popular. I think this is something that people are going to start messing with a lot more because it's, it's fun like having all that horsepower on a trail. Like dude, the gatekeeper was just such a kick in the ass to drive. Cause like you could sit there and slow crawl one section and then see two routes, you know, later down the trail and like double them or something like it was just so much fun having that amount of power on tap, but have it still be able to slow crawl good. And I, I think that's perfect. Like, especially with like your SCX 10 three and like the gladiator and stuff. Like, I don't know how many guys are going to be like doing serious crawling with the gladiator because in my opinion it's kind of probably more suited as kind of a do-it-all trail truck you know and i i just i kind of feel like that's sort of the direction that people are going to be going now because and, and we're seeing like a lot of people just don't have like great rock terrain to crawl on like just straight up rock crawling super popular here but like I'm seeing other spots in the country where 
you know, they don't have that and it's a lot of trailing and stuff instead and some man-made courses. And so I, I think we're going to see like this big shift in like setup on some of these trucks now. Well, it's not just that. It's also the fact that even if you look at what's being popular in the off-road world, overlanding and like just your basic trail truck has like been dominating the off-road community for the, at least the last like three to four years. So fun. Well, yeah, and it and it's and it's in a roundabout way, it's a little more practical for everybody. You know, somebody can get like a Jeep, you know, a Toyota, a pickup truck of your choice. You can throw a small lift, throw some like thirty twos, thirty threes, if you want to be like taking it to the extreme with overlanding, and go out and have a good time. So, and then drive it to work on Monday. Exactly. So yeah, I think that's. Sales. Which is going to be, I think, what's going to happen with the RC, like you're saying, is the fact that it's like, you know, these people are going to start going, hey, it doesn't have to be like some crazy rock crawler because I'm not putting it through, you know, the gulch every day and like, like trying to find like the craziest line through this like rock pile. I'm actually just cruising along the trail. Yeah, a lot of people just don't have that option. You know, and like when when I stop and think about it, like the type of driving we did at Axial Fest where like there was some like rock to crawl and stuff like that, but there was a lot of like dirt trail and stuff. I mean, that was some of the most fun driving I've ever done. And it's not that it was, you know, like super technical rock sections and stuff, or it was that way all the time. It was a good mix of everything. And so it was just nonstop changing terrain and just super, super fun that way. So I think that you know, the, those type of events are so popular now that I, I just, I really see this being like a growing area. And like, I think if we start looking at the type of trucks being released, that's something that we're seeing. Cause I mean, lo well, look at like element, for example, like besides the gatekeeper, their last release was, you know, a, a Toyota forerunner on one five fives, you know, just like straight up trail truck with like IFS and stuff. And the thing, has sold like crazy. So it, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know how many people have like stopped and really like examined what's happening or like taken a close look at the direction these rigs are going, you know, with like two speeds and stuff like that. But I think that's a pretty good indicator of the type of driving people are doing. And that's why we're seeing, you know, two speeds and some longer wheelbase trucks now and really, really small tires and stuff because everybody's figuring out that, like, that's super fun driving with the constantly, you know, changing terrain in front of you. Yeah, you know, I agree. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, it's just the, you know, it's the next direc direction if, you know... Yeah, it definitely opens a hobby up to more people by going that way. And it's not like you can't buy something and turn it into a straight-up, like, serious rock-crawling machine, too. I mean, it's you can do practically anything you want with these now and build. I mean, there's so much stuff that you can buy now that you can build anything you want, basically. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, you're going to have customers that are bummed out that something was released and it's not like a super performance rock crawling rig, you know? I mean, it just a little bit of work and some aftermarket parts and make it whatever the hell you want. Right. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, just so we have some time, is your awesome video you just dropped. 
Trav's awesome video. <laughs> wow. It, you like? Did you enjoy watching that one? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. It's very peaceful. Well, thanks. It is very peaceful, isn't it? Yeah, like I showed it to mom, and she was just like all about it. It was pretty cool. <laughs> that was a really well, fun I mean, one to the put together. The scenery was sick. I mean, it was like postcard scenery. I mean, it was yeah, crazy. That was really cool. Especially the scenes when you get the guy with the tall black socks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> dude. Dressed in all black, just like <laughs> whatever the hell it is I am out there walking around. <laughs> Then you got to see me laying on the ground, and then you got to see me nerding out, moving like pine needles and branches out of the way of a shot, so I could get the picture I wanted. And like, so stupid. <laughs> hey, but that's what we do for a shot. I I know it's just so funny. It's like I I just I can't help but think what this looks like, you know, on the outside looking into other people, you know, like laying on my stomach on a bunch of river rock, like all hunkered down trying to get a picture to where it looks super realistic and stuff. But honestly, like any more, like trying to get scale shots and stuff is like at least half the enjoyment that I've been going out now. Like it, it is so weird how this hobby just turns people into photographers. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Like, you just want to document every cool little angle or, you know, how it's sitting and, oh, it looks sick because that one tire's tucked up. And, it, like, it, it's just so funny and nerdy. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? Who cares? Like, it, it's so much fun and you only live once. Like, just enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. I I really liked all the scenery shots that you had. Like, there was a lot of stuff that I saw in that that I just totally wasn't expecting to see you know that I just there was a couple sections where you had like the camera rolling and I didn't even know that you were filming me so <laughs> yeah <laughs> kind of funny like I always assume you're like filming the car like not like me or anything so like if I pop up in something I like I'm kind of surprised about it it's no it, it was a good time and you did a fantastic job on it and I can't wait to do more stuff like that because it's yeah, even even down to the music was good and enjoyable. Yeah, yeah super relaxing. Yeah, I, it was just thanks. I, it's just a fun fun one to put together. I put it together like was it three or four a.m. Friday morning? Probably. I think it was after I finished recording um, the rest of my second to last track walk show, and I was like, "All right, well, <laughs> I guess I can bust this out real fast." And yeah, no, Dude. I'll drop the second one on Monday. Those late nights, man, I swear, like, sometimes, like, our best work comes from just super late at night, but it's, like, once you, like, get into something and, like, things are flowing well and you're excited about a project, you know, it's, like, you can turn out some pretty cool stuff if you just knuckle down and just hammer it out. Yeah. That's true. No, it was cool. Like, the creek shots were really great. I really enjoyed seeing all of that. I mean, it was just... We, we were just... I mean, it... For not knowing where the hell we were going, it couldn't have worked out any better because we just got so much cool stuff there. And honestly, like, I I don't know. Like, if you were to tell me, like, hey, let's go back up there, I would be just all about it. Like, yeah, let's go this weekend. You know, like, I, yeah. I, I actually really enjoyed driving at that spot. I mean, it wasn't super huge, but the amount of stuff that you and I found in that small area was pretty cool. Yeah, we found a lot of cool stuff up there. 
There was actually, okay, so you know where you're filming out the passenger window and we're crossing a bridge and the creek is underneath us? Yeah. So the shore, like as we're leaving, you know, the shore and crossing the bridge, I noticed a spot right there next to the river and by the bridge that I I totally missed it, but I saw it in the video you took. I was just like, damn, that would have been a great little section to check out, but didn't even think about it. <laughs> yeah. Happens, I don't, though. We need to go back. I think it'd be fun. Get like Brett and Brenda and some other people together and go have a camp out weekend there and just enjoy ourselves. I think that'd be a good time. Yeah, that'd be a great time. You know what I wish we could get back? I mean, this has been kind of a stupid year for it, but event-wise, like I really wish that we could get more people on board to let us know that they have an event coming up so that we can announce it on here because, oh, excuse me, hiccups. Um there is a pretty decent sized event going on this weekend in Boise uh, on Sunday. So if you're in the Idaho area, um, check that out. Unfortunately, I don't have that info in front of me. Um, the gentleman that's putting it on though, his name is James Sockrider and he has uh, a, his profile pictures like the Tekken logo. So, um, if you guys are in that area or somewhere close by and you're looking to go do some scale comp event type fun driving stuff this weekend, then uh, hit them up and head over to Boise and check it out. And then uh, there's another event, I want to say down near Chehalis. It's Northwest Pacific Northwest RC Crawlers, I think is the name of the club. Uh, they're having a Sorka style event, I think believe and some raffle type stuff going on on Sunday so that's a uh, another event that you guys can check out um, if you're looking for something to do this weekend but yeah it, it'd just be cool to like get these people to like submit their info more often so that we can get the stuff announced and kind of help help people you know spread the word that they have something going on because I know there's a lot of people itching to get out and do some RC events this year so yeah please please you guys if you have something coming up or you know of something please shoot us a message so that we can make it known and get some people steered your direction are you you're not going to that boise one are you no i man i want to so bad but i get so tired driving by myself like if i don't have like a co-pilot uh, and i did like some quick math and like our close. last, yeah, dude, our last trip, we got, I think 13 miles per gallon was our average. And so just doing some quick math, it was something like 43 gallons to get there and back. And it was going to be like, God, almost 300 bucks in fuel. So kind of decided against it. That's a little bit more than I want to spend and kind of a long ways to drive by myself. I'd rather like have a buddy go with me. Yeah. Fair enough. Maybe next year, though. Like, I know Ty is going. He's pretty excited about it. I think he's going to stay there in Boise um, Saturday night, do some driving Saturday. So it sucks. It's a missed opportunity. I think it'd be kind of fun, and it would have been nice to go over there and take those guys some raffle prizes and stuff like that. But it's yeah. probably just going to have to be next year. Yep, always next year. Yeah. All righty. Well, I don't know. We kind of covered it all, didn't we? Yeah, right at an hour and a half with that. Do you have anything else, Adam? 
No, that was it. I was going to say, I think we covered everything. There wasn't really much more to cover. I just wanted to make sure you guys talked about your video, get you guys some traction. I guess the last well, thing same. is, the last thing is uh, Trail Slayer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Like, I don't even have a good definition for it. Like, it started out as just a t-shirt design, like, a long time ago. And I sent you that tonight, too, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. So, it's, now, like, I think it would be cool to turn it into some sort of, like, a lifestyle brand, not just for RC, but for, like, one-to-one stuff as well, because I, I think it's something that applies to that world, too. So, I think it'd be neat if, you know kind of became like kind of a t-shirt company type thing and then, you know, have some RC stuff attached to it and do some different RC wraps and stuff. But I just thought it was kind of funny because, like, Hoonigan had Tire Slayer, you know, and I always thought that was really clever. And so I was like, hey, you know what? Like, Trail Slayer, that's kind of, you know, something that sort of applies to what we enjoy and what we like. And it's kind of combining two things that Travis and I are super into, which is RC cars and heavy metal. So it was uh, just kind of fun, you know, like do some like skull designs and some blood splatters and doom and gloom type stuff, you know, for the people that are into that sort of thing. And if they're not, that's cool too, but just thought it'd be kind of something fun. And if it turns into something cool, if not, whatever, it was fun drawing it up and had some fun little t-shirt designs we did out of it. So I don't yeah, know. Then, we'll we'll see then, where it goes. And then put on your best uh, death growl and get yourself a little trail slayer. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we, we're going to make a sound clip of that, and we're going to have you saying that at the start of every trail slayer video. All right. Works for me. I'm actually going to try and do it. I'm taking tomorrow off, and I'm actually going to try and do some trail slayer stuff like some video to post on that page and stuff so nice thought it'd be kind of fun yeah so anyways well cool yeah well everyone thanks for tuning in thank you everybody why do you sound so depressed I'm just sad it's over sad it's over (laughs) (laughs) this guy (laughs) no just now I gotta like do the last episode and get it put up really quick too. So. Well, hey, if, uh, if if somebody wasn't tardy, we would have had this last week too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so. Not even, not even going to get into last week. <laughs> um, yeah, and no, I'll I'll be taking over editing and uploading uh, next week though, so that should take some stress off of him. Okay, so, that'll work. I already have to do it for track walk on Wednesday, so one more is not a big deal. So, yep. All right, everybody. We'll catch All you right, later. We'll see you next week. See you guys.